Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. How is everybody doing? Doing good? I um, just want to pray before we start, even though we've been praying. It's just good to wait on God. So, God, thank you. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that you love us so much. Thank you. You are here. You are always with us. We never have to think or worry that you're not. You never leave us. You never leave us. You're always with us. And even when we can't feel or see or sense, you're still there with us. And so uh, we thank you for that. And I pray, God, that we'd even start to be people who really understand that the way into greater sensing is a thankful and a gratitude-filled heart. And so... uh, you know, I just pray and bless that over our people that we'd understand that thankfulness, gratitude is the way into greater presence, into the way into just in that intimate relationship with you. It's a grateful heart. And uh, yeah, we thank you, Lord Jesus. I just pray that you really would come and that you really would fill up this room powerfully. You already are here, but I'm asking for more. Fill up this room more. Fill up this room God, with your presence, in a way that uh, people tangibly can feel and hear and sense your presence. And uh, as we love you and there's nothing like your presence, it's the thing that we need more than anything else in our life. It's the thing that we were created to crave, the thing that we were created to be, um, the, the thing that it's the addiction of our life. And so, God, I just pray that we'd all be people who would be pursuers of your presence and pursuers of your heart more than anything else in this life, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, I'm going to start by saying something that's maybe a little funny because um, uh, we have a prayer meeting back here at 4 o'clock, just 4 to 5 we pray, just for the service and, and, and things that are going on in service and for people and um, whatever's on people's hearts, sometimes that words come forth. It says prophetic praying. And um, what's really funny is, Brent, who doesn't know what I'm about to tell you, put his hand over on me. <laughs> he goes, I just bless Romy and something that she's going to do for the first time tonight that is going to happen from now on in a bigger way. And then he just kept praying about other stuff. And I've kind of paraphrased what he said. Um, but he didn't know. Um, I had prepared a message and before I came down here tonight, God goes, don't bring your message, just bring the scriptures only. <laughs> so... And um, which is always fun, <laughs> not <laughs> well, stand off in front of people with no notes. I don't usually use my notes anyway, but at least they're a prop, you know. If I forget something, I can at least come back and go, What scripture should I read? And so, but tonight, literally, the Holy Spirit just went, um, Just bring the scriptures I've given you only. So, I've got them here. I've got my Bible too. I don't even know where it ended up. Oh, did you take my Bible? It's disappeared, so I printed out the scriptures anyway, so it's okay, it's okay. Um, Your Bible's better? (laughs) My husband's now competing with me over who's got the better Bible. (laughs) Um, I'm going to, oh, no, that's your Bible. I need my Bible. I can open up exactly to the right spot. But it's okay because I printed out all the scriptures, literally because I did what the Holy Spirit told me and that's really what I'm talking about tonight. Do what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do. 
I'm standing in front of you doing it. So, you know, the song, one of the songs that we sung there, the second to last song is a brand new song for our community here. It's brand new just around um, church world, um, the communion song. And, um, but the, one of the lines in the bridge there is, I don't have to impress anybody. I'm not up here trying to impress you. I'm not up here trying to think, hope you think that I'm some kind of good speaker or that I'm some kind of like spiritually mature person. Because that, to me, that's junk spirituality. That is junk preaching. Junk preaching. I should never be trying to impress you with who I am. I should only be trying to impress Jesus into the hearts of the people who are sitting here. And that's what preaching is supposed to do anyway. Right? So that line in that, that bridge in that song, then we don't have to impress anybody. None of us are here to try and impress one another. We're only here to love one another because what I give away is what I get back into my life. So if I can love, I'm going to receive it back. If I'm honoring, I'm going to receive it back. Right? And that's what church is about. And so that line is great because this word, I spoke a week or two ago. I'm just going to use it as the jump off. So I've got my scriptures, but also this prophetic word. Um, I think it was two weeks ago that I said it, or a week ago, two weeks ago, I said this. Um, on January 21st, which was a Monday night, and I worked all night till about midnight, put my work aside and went to bed. Clayton was already asleep, kids were asleep. And I lay in bed and the Holy Spirit goes, pull your phone out and just write down. And this is what he gave me. Um, yeah, thank you, God. It's not to the weak I give my kingdom, but to those who are spiritually strong in me. A man can be mentally and physically strong, up for any task, but in the spiritual realm, with his self-dependence, he is weak and unfit to serve in my kingdom. Are you listening to me? Unfit for service. I deem them unfit for service. What happens when someone is unfit for service in the army? They are discharged without hesitation because they are a liability. But in the spirit realm, it's worse. It's like a cancerous liability. This is the leaven that spoils the whole batch. And so it was just a word that God gave me a couple of weeks ago. January 29th is when he gave it. And um, I shared it two weeks ago in church because it was really, I couldn't believe it because I gave the word. I hadn't even talked to Clayton and he's preaching something really along the same lines. And um, it's great because really what God is saying to us is we cannot depend on ourselves. We cannot depend upon the things that we, the world might look at the skill set that you have. And you might have worked really hard to build up a skill set. I'm not saying don't do that. But the world looks at all of this stuff. And even where it's a big mistake is in the church when we start to look at the skill set and the things that a person might bring and then the self-dependence that rises up on the back of that that causes a person to lean on their own strength and lean on their own ability. And when we do that in church, we are now stepping outside of the anointing I've been asked to stand in because I'm standing in my own strength. If I'm standing in my own strength. I'm, I'm stepping outside of the anointing that God wants us all to walk in. So it's not to the weak I give my kingdom, but to those spiritually strong in me. Here's the thing. It's not talking about the weakness. In, 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 if I'm standing in my physical strength and my, Romy, my abilities, I can, I can impress people. I can, I can, I can dazzle. 
I've done it before and I had to repent. <laughs> I'm just saying. We, we, can, we can impress people with the good things that we bring to the, to the table, right? What I'm doing is standing in my human physical ability and God calls that weak in him. Because he says, it's not to the weak I give my kingdom, but to those spiritually strong in me. God is looking for us to go, as Paul did, it's, I'll talk about my weakness, because when I'm weak, then I'm really strong. It's an upside-down, back-to-front way of thinking about the kingdom of God and what God really calls strength and weakness. If I'm standing in my pride and all of my exploits and all of my strengths, God goes, uh-uh, that's weak. That's human strength, which is weak. And in, in, the, in the spiritual kingdom, in the sense that we really live in a side-by-side -side kingdom, we live in this physical world, but there's a spiritual realm all around about us every single day that is waging a war against us, against our loved ones, against um, people that we work with, right? If I, if I try and come at that kingdom with my human physical strength, I'm like, enemy can just flick me away as if I'm just like paper, I'm weak, but in the spiritual, God is looking for me to set aside all of that stuff and stand on him. I um, will not forget the time I had to lead worship. Um, it was right after we got out of um, five days in the ER with Bella and um, uh, other people were out of town, so it was me as it worship leading up here trying to not cry my eyes out because I've literally have not slept all week. Now I've got to stand up and play my guitar and sing and try and lead others into worship. I'd been worshiping in the hospital. That's not the thing. It's but you've got to stand up and then lead others. It's like, oh, I really have nothing here. And that was really broken. That was a weak, weak moment. But it was in that moment that God, I could see what was happening in the spirit and God led I wasn't even in the one doing it and the room, the atmosphere was so different in the room because I had nothing on my own to stand on. I had no physical strength because I was tired. Days and days of no sleep with my daughter in the ER emergency. You know, I had literally hadn't, I hadn't eaten right. So, you know, you're not only sleepless but you're also like low blood sugar for a few days. Nothing to give. And, um, but in that weak moment, his strength came through and he showed himself to be strong and his anointing is what moved the room his anointing he anoints it's the holy spirit and so um, what i'm saying that for is that it's even on days when i have got all the sleep that i need and all the food that i need and i'm thinking you know I'm, i can play the guitar okay i'm good even on those days i still want to lean into that weakness and that human frailty that just goes it's jesus's sufficiency that i'm leaning on it's not my own amen so it's not to the weak, God is saying, it's not to the weak that I give my kingdom, but to the strong, spiritually strong in me. That's the first line of that prophetic word. It's not to the weak. See, when we lean on our own self, we literally dull our spiritual senses and stop our growth in the spirit. Because we've, we've stopped the dependence on him that has kept us needy. He, he likes us to be needy for him not each other, but if, I, if I'm no longer needy and craving his presence and needing his presence, I can come over here and I can become distracted with me. I can become distracted with the things that I'm busy with or the social media I'm looking at or the strengths that I have and all the things that I've got to do with my week. And so that it's, if I can lean upon all of that stuff and it's literally dulling 
dulling my senses and my ability to see and feel and hear and feel his heartbeat. He wants us so close that we'd feel his heartbeat, that we'd feel his breath on us and be able to go, that's what I want. I'm chasing you, right? That's what is spiritual strong. Spiritual strength is that senses exercised to the point where I can feel his heartbeat in mine and I can respond to his slight whisper with great faith, even the slightest whisper. I can respond with great faith because he's taught me to trust even that little, little whisper. Amen? Can we be people that'll do that? Just respond even, I think I, I, think I just caught a vision. What's that, God? And speak it out. Or what's that, God? Show me more. Right? Be people that'll just be so dependent on him. Amen? So I'm going to read also what I read a couple of weeks ago. Mark 11. I'm going to start in verse 12. Mark 11, verse 12. But just before Mark 11, verse 12, Jesus, um, just to jog your memory, Jesus um, sent a couple of the disciples in to go get a donkey, little colt. Um, and he was, he was going to enter into Jerusalem on a little colt. And, you know, they laid down their, their robes and leaves and created um, like a walkway for him to walk on um, and said, Hosanna, Hosanna. And he's in Jerusalem then, and it was getting late. He's in the temple, and it's getting late. But he sees it's getting late, so he starts walking out of Jerusalem. And this is where we pick up the story. In verse 12, the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, they were going back to Jerusalem, they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. I'm going to say, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. His disciples heard him say this. Verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were selling doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry any merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? Verse 18. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill Jesus. They feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Even When evening came, verse 19, when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, they're going back past the fig tree and they saw the fig tree withered from its roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Verse 22, have faith in God, but I'm going to restate it. Have the faith of God. Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I just explained some of that scripture in a little, didn't really spend a lot of time on it um, and won't even tonight so much, but it's just to explain a couple of things. We've too often read these scriptures and separated it out. We think Jesus went through the temple courts and it was a separate issue to him cursing the fig tree. And don't, 
necessarily always put those things together, but it literally sits in the middle of the fig tree story. From the fig tree, um, from him uh, looking at the fig tree, being hungry, and the fig tree had no fruit, and he cursed it. Then he's in the temple, and he and he's basically turning up the temple courts, turning up, t- sorry, uh, turning up the tables, the money changers. He is kicking out the, the people who are trying to sell doves and, and create um, something very small of worship. And then he's back again now looking at the fig tree and it's dead and shriveled from the roots. And it's sandwiched in the middle. So when he says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. That scripture is in the middle of him cursing the fig tree. From looking at the fig tree and seeing it with no fruit to the next day, it's dead and withered. Here's the thing. So our lives... It's a picture, a little bit of our lives, but a much, much bigger picture of the church just in general. See, a church can look really good or a life can look really good from a distance, full of foliage, beautiful, green. There must be fruit there. And from a distance, we can take off over to that tree. But the moment Jesus turned up to the tree and he was hungry, he was looking for fruit because Jesus inspects our lives and inspects our churches and he is looking for fruit. So he's looking for fruit, but the tree had no fruit on it. And so he said, no one's ever going to eat from you again. And the tree shriveled up and died. Why? Like it's such a, it's a funny it's a funny thing if you've if you not spent too much time thinking about why would Jesus like curse a fig tree like that? But it's because it was a metaphor for our lives and the church. And so when someone is looking at my life and my life is looking and impressive, I said from the beginning, if I'm impressing people and I'm looking sharp and I'm standing on my strengths and I'm standing on my abilities and all of my, look at, and be impressed with me. Be impressed with who I am and my strength and my skills and my education. Be impressed with what I drive. Be impressed with my bank account. Be impressed with all the success of my life. That's all of this green foliage that Jesus was looking at in the distance and going, oh, there's, there's a fig tree in, with foliage on it. There's going to be fruit. And he took off because he was hungry and he wanted some fruit. From the distance, the fig tree looked amazing. But Jesus was inspecting the fig tree and went, oh, there's no fruit on there. Oh, you're a fake hypocrite. Be cursed and die. So the thing is, a fig tree, when its foliage is out, it always has fruit on it. The fruit comes out at the same time. In the natural sense, a fig tree will always have both the fruit and the foliage both come out at the same time, always, if it's healthy. When a fig tree is under stress from a lack of water, no fruit comes out on it. I'll say that again. When a fig tree is stressed because of drought and no water, it will foliage, the leaves will come out, but there'll be zero fruit on it. And the thing is, the water in our life is the Holy Spirit. And so when our lives are without the Holy Spirit, There's not going to be the life of Christ blowing up inside us. There's not going to be the fruit that Jesus is looking for, fruit in our lives. He's looking for fruit in our church. And this is why the Holy Spirit is the, you know, I think it's um, 2 Corinthians um, 5 or 3. I think about this all the time. It's the Lord is the Spirit. Holy Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's That's the church. Where the Holy Spirit is Lord, 
there is going to be true freedom. But even to bring it back to this fruit verse here, we, the Holy Spirit in our lives is, is he, he's who brings the fruit of the Spirit. We know that. So if the Holy Spirit in you, the seed of all of his fruit are in you as well. But the more you just lean into his presence around about your life is how all of that fruit gets developed. It's already in latent form in every believer. And I say latent because it can be undeveloped. But when we lean into his presence and we trust the one that we say we love and we, and we decide to lean on him and depend on him instead of our own strength, our own human abilities, and we learn who he is through intimacy and we press into him through just prayer and through our worship and with our heart just engaging in him. I think I, I said this on Facebook a day or two ago. Worship itself just means to feel in the heart. And you can feel in your heart whether you love someone, but even more, you feel in your heart if you love the Lord. You can feel it because there's something that rises up in you. You know the scripture that says they're walking along the Emmaus Road and, and, and it was Jesus, but they didn't know it was Jesus. A man turned up and started walking with them and the disciples are like, were not our hearts burning within us until they realized it was Jesus? And went, oh, that's why our hearts were burning. Our hearts burn with a passionate love for him. And it's that engagement of our heart that sometimes it's easy. Other times, other days, we, we might wake up some, some, you know, maybe three days a week and it's amazing. We might wake up the next day after three great days and just go, oh, what's going on today? Right? But it's in that day that all the more that you just go, oh, oh, I'm following the one I love. And I'm, I'm pursuing your heart, God, because you've been the one in pursuit of my heart all along. The Holy Spirit is in you already. You're a believer in Christ. He's come and res he resides on the inside. He's made his home with you. But we still have a job, a part to play. I call it, a, I said job. That's maybe, I don't want to make it look like it's a hard thing. It's not a hard thing. It actually becomes easier and easier and easier the more we do it. it the, our, our, our role is respond to his loving us, love him back. <laughs> He's already made the first move to engage us and daily will again and again and again. And we just daily again make that choice to re-engage. That's right. Re-engage my heart with the one I love. So, the fig tree. Do you know, in the middle of those verses between the fig tree getting cursed and then the next day when they saw it cursed, it's the scripture. It's, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. I'm not going to stick on the robbers part. I'm just going to talk about the prayer part. Prayer, it's all of our talking to him, all of our thinking about him and, and allowing him to engage us in our, in our everyday, everyday conversation. See, every single person has a conversation going on in their head and their heart at all times. This is... People know this as a psychological or a scientific thing, whatever you want to call it. Like this constant monologue that you are having with yourself on an ongoing basis. And without it being renewed and redeemed by God, it's often quite a negative one. Because, you know, they say that for every one thing that you're told, a uh, positive thing, there's like, uh, uh, sorry, for every, for every one negative comment you receive, um, oh, I've just got that wrong. Someone help me out. What's that thing? Like for every one negative comment you receive, like, com like compliment. Yeah, how many? So, so, so something like that. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, we, 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 just humans, without the help of God, 
we have a tendency to think very negatively. It's a very normal human trait, right? Without the help of the Holy Spirit. Even with the help of the Holy Spirit, Jesus still says, renew your mind. Renew it, renew it, renew it, and daily renew it, conform it. Let it be patterned to the thinking of um, not the world, but to God and to his word, right? And so it's this, it's this constant. The more we engage our heart and the more we allow him to engage us, and it's this reciprocal thing that's just a back and forth. In fact, the very beautiful rhythm, prayer is very beautiful rhythm, like a dance, actually. If you think about a waltz, it's just this, you respond to what he's doing. You respond to his loving you, you love him back. You respond to what he's saying, you obey. And so it should be very easy flow through our life to understand who he is and grow in this thing that we call a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now, so the scripture, though, is my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, Prayer only means this very simply. I exchange everything I want for everything he wants. That's it. That's what prayer means. And so I know I have done this, and I'm sure people in this room would go, yeah, I have too. I've had like the laundry list prayers. Yeah, pray for this, pray for that, pray for that. I'm doing dishes and I might have to, like, run down a list of 20 things that I might need pray, pray, um, to be you know, asking God for. And I'm not saying don't do that. I, what I am saying is don't let that be the only thing that you um, engage God with in, in conversation. Because he wants to be saying things to you and he wants to be communicating to you because he will communicate the desires of his heart into your heart and now his desires become your desires and that's the place of true prayer and that's when we read back to this verse in verse 24, same chapter, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours because when you have worked um, out this place of I, I, I love the Lord, I'm going to engage him on a level where he's communicating and there's open, I'm listening, he's speaking, he's listening, I'm speaking and there's just this ongoing transfer of communication, listening, speaking, speaking and, and obeying by the way. You catch his heart and this is when whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. So if prayer is the exchange, the more you are just talking to him and engaging him, your own heart's desires, the agendas, the things that you want in life, he is purifying those. He is then like, literally putting his own dreams into your heart and creating in you the faith, because faith, even the faith that we have in him is a gift from him. He's the one who originates faith in us to believe in him. Right? So the more we just engage, the more we just rise up into this place of, I know your heart and now I can pray these prayers with great faith. And that's why it says, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. We sung Faith Can Move the Mountains, one of the songs, if faith can move the mountains, let the mountains move. And Jesus said that to us. It's quite a funny scripture, isn't it? You're like, Jesus, I've not ever seen a mountain move, mountain moving faith. You know, we have these little phrases and ways that we'll talk around about this scripture. Um, and so it, with, in, my, in my lifetime, I have not heard of someone doing something like that. But I am a bit of a church history nut. People know I'm a bit nerdy. I freely embrace that. Um, but I, I was reading about a man and he... Um, his name is um, uh, the, uh, the Wonder Worker. 
I'm going to get his name wrong. I think it's Gregory the Wonder Worker from around early, sorry, late 200s AD. Gregory the Wonder Worker. This man had a reputation for praying when there was famine and waters, like rivers, streams, would literally change their path and go and irrigate where the people needed the water. Like where the drought was happening and so they couldn't grow crops, he would pray and pray because God says to us, persevere in prayer. He would pray and pray and literally rivers would move. That's quite something to think about, isn't it? So this is like not the Bible that we're reading. This is people's stories who've, like you and me, just decided I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm going to do this thing called Christianity and I'm going to pursue his heart and I'm going to pursue intimate relationship with him. So Gregory the Wonder Worker has a life of ridiculous, ridiculous, amazing miracles. Um, This was a time when people were dying all over the place because they were persecuted just for being Christians. Um, You know, in America we don't face that, other countries do. Well, Gregory lived in a time where a lot of people were escaping to the desert and that's why he was praying for water living in a desert. Um, And there is story after story after story of food being multiplied, just like the Gospels that we read of. Jesus, Jesus multiplied food. Well, Gregory, the wonder worker, was multiplying food in the desert. And rivers were changing direction so that they would get water in the desert. I love stories like that because it just goes, oh my gosh, do it again. If testimony says, do it again, then I can know I can pray these prayers and really believe that I can see great change in the world. And I know I can pray. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Now, here's the thing is, if prayer is exchange, I'm not praying self-centered, self-fulfilling prayers. I'm not praying my agenda that is separate to God's. I'm not praying, God, help me impress people with how well I speak. I'm not doing that, am I? If, if prayer is exchange then the more time we spend in prayer, the more we're picking up his agenda. And the more we're becoming like him, by the way, which Jesus himself was a pure model of humility and what it was like to be a man who walked the earth, fully dependent on the Holy Spirit, walking in full humility, fully obedient to the Holy Spirit. Right? And that's what prayer does in us, the more we just engage God. And it's not like, I, I've said this before, and I've, I want to keep saying it because I don't want people thinking, oh, I have to go spend four hours a day in prayer to be super spiritual. No, no, you don't, because <laughs> life is real. People have jobs and pay bills and life, raising kids. I get all that, and so does God. He's not saying, spend four hours a day so that you'll be spiritually mature and then can hear me speak to you. No, wherever you are, you carry him with you. And so it's just bring him into every single moment. Pray in the shower, pray in the car, spend time when it's just you and him with your Bible open and a coffee. Do that. Yes, but don't be thinking that it's to be super spiritual and to have the kind of life where you can, like Gregory, move, you know, whole rivers. God is not asking that of you. He's much more practical than we would want to think. Practical God. But he's also supernaturally powerful, omniscient, omnipresent, omni... other one, there's a third one. Um... Proverbs 27 verse 18 says this, He who tends the fig tree will eat its fruit. 
And he who cares for his master will be honoured. I actually read that out of the NASB. So he who tends the fig tree will eat its fruit. And he who cares for his master will be honoured. But um, I actually like the way it says it literally from the Hebrew, because it's Proverbs, Old Testament, and Hebrew. The literal Proverbs says, whoever keeps the fig tree will eat its fruit. He who waits, from the Hebrew, he who waits on his master will be honoured. So I like it, the, the literal sense is way better, I think, just literal out of the Hebrew. He who waits on his master will be honoured. So here's the thing is, um, we do um, show God honour by our willingness to wait for him. And a willingness to not run ahead with our own agendas and our own ideas. And even if it's God speaking about something, not running ahead then as if, oh, I've got the timeline in place. Still waiting for his timing. Make sense? So he who waits for his master, and Jesus is my master. Jesus is our king. He who waits on his master will be honoured from the Hebrew. Now, the, the Greek word in Hebrew for honor is kabod. It's the same word for glory. It's the same word for weighty presence of God. So he who waits for God is going to be receiving his glory. That's his strong presence in your life. Our willingness, our ability just to wait, our ability just to go, well, you're the most important. I'm waiting on you. You, I, because my weight even communicates, Father, to your heart that you are the priority of my life. That willingness out of our heart, he reciprocates with giving us his kabod, his weighty, very, very good opinion, which is his glory. And that's how he honours us with his presence in our life. Right? The Greek, the Greek word, so that's the Hebrew from Old Testament, the Greek word for it is doxa or doxan. And I might be saying that wrong with an accent. Sorry, I don't care. Um, doxa, again, a very heavy, weighty opinion. So here's the thing is, I love in um, Psalm 92, it says, I will look after the one who loves me. God knows. God knows our heart and our intention to really want to pursue him and love him. And so our ability just to go, I'm waiting on you. You're the one I love. And he, and he goes, yes, I'm waiting on you too. And here's my presence. And here's more of my presence. And here's the very weighty glory presence and the strong presence that you're after. And I, God does this with us, with our lives, because he wants to mark our lives with his presence. He wants to put his favor upon us. It's not something that he's uh, trying to withhold to only super, 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 I can't get that out. Super Christians. <laughs> He's, he, he longs to have people that can be so marked with his glory and so live with a, a, the expression of who he is through our life because his glory through us expresses his, his life to the world. Right? And so the more we just love him and engage him and decide, yeah, you're the one the more he reigns his, and pours out his spirit on us and fills us to overflowing, overflowing. See, it's not just that the spirit is in us, but the spirit is also on us with a very strong presence. And that strong presence is a the thing then that really overflows and touches other people's lives. And that is what transforms people. It's not my good words or your good words. The only thing that transforms people is the presence and the very words of God. 
how we can carry those words of God, we call that prophecy, being prophetic. Speaking forth his actual, the written word, and then catching revelation out of heaven and speaking it. I'm going to come over here, I just realized. I'll stand here for a while. <laughs> so, so I think I'd do that. So I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> just remind me. Throw something at me. Come over here. Um, so it's, the, it's his presence. His presence in us and on us is what makes the difference. We don't. I cannot impress people with me. Or if I can, it'll be only very momentary. And they'll walk away hungry as if they've come up to a fig tree looking like great foliage. They'll walk up to the fig tree looking for fruit, but it's a very temporary, oh, pretty, and then walk away hungry because there was no fruit. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit in us and the Holy Spirit on us flowing through us, it's the thing that changes and so, you know, we are New Testament, uh, New Covenant people. We're supposed to be New Covenant people, understanding what the covenant means. The Old Covenant was given through Moses, the Ten Commandments, in chapter Exodus 20. In Exodus 19, though, one chapter earlier, God turned up onto the top of Mount Sinai, and it was shaking, and it was thunder, light, lightning, earthquakes, rocks splitting, the presence of God was coming down on Mount Sinai and the people were asked by God, Moses, get the people to wait at the bottom of the mountain, get them to wait until I say come up. That was the thing, get them to wait until I say come. They watched God's presence come down on Mount Sinai, watched it shaking and the rocks splitting and the earthquakes and I'm sure it was a frightening sight, like I'm sure it was. The kind of thing that would make grown men, you know, need to go to the bathroom. Right? I mean, really, if a mountain is shaking and there's rocks are splitting in front of you and there is sounds, trumpet blasts out of heaven, you, it's going to get some attention. But Moses tell the people just to wait until I invite them up because they were all invited up the mountain. And I'll cry now, actually. So this is Exodus 19. And they saw God and they saw the mountain and they saw the shaking and they saw his power and what was in them, the sin in them and their shortcomings made them turn to Moses and say, no, we don't want to listen to him. You go up the mountain and you, t- you come down and tell us what he said. And so in Exodus 20, Moses is up the mountain. He gets the Ten Commandments and comes down and that's the... That's the old covenant that's given to them through Moses who became the mediator then of the old covenant. And this is where I'll cry because God never intended that we'd be so separated. But even in that moment, because imagine the rejection he was feeling because they would already been invited. They were just asked to wait. Imagine the rejection he was feeling. And so, so the new plan, because God is... God is the God, ultimate God of the strategy. <laughs> the new plan now, Moses, is give them these ten commandments and I will limit myself and put myself into the ark, in the box, and put me in the ark and put a tent around me and my presence will still be among my people. Just give them certain rules and laws so that they don't die by coming up too close. And God limited himself to that place behind the veil because he so longed to be with his people. It's the old covenant. 
In Acts chapter 2, Isaiah 59 speaks of Acts chapter 2. Isaiah said there will come a time when um, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all of your sons and daughters. And everybody will pre- everybody will um, speak dreams, visions, right? Acts chapter 2, the moment of Pentecost, that's happening. And Peter gets up and goes, this is what they spoke about in the Old Testament. And it is now, it's happening now. The Holy Spirit is being poured out upon all of you, all of us, for our sons and our daughters and our women and our children, that your old men will dream dreams. Your children will see visions. This is the new covenant that we live in now, is that the Holy Spirit is no longer behind that veil, trapped by our sin, because Jesus paid the price for our sin. So we are sinless and spotless before God. But the presence of God now is, lives on the inside of us, and that was the whole purpose of the inauguration of the, uh, the ending of the old covenant, the fulfillment and the completion that Jesus did, and then the beginning of the new covenant for you and I, that we'd be people who live with the Holy Spirit on the inside of us and all around about us. He's, he never leaves us. He has... Uh, Jesus' work was so complete on the cross that the Holy Spirit now fills, again, the whole earth and fills your heart, and that's the honour. A God of heaven now lives on the inside and honours us with his presence, lives on the inside of us. No greater honour can be given to a person than the God of heaven makes his home in your heart. Right? And so... I just want to check the time, actually. I'm going to read John, First uh, John, four seventeen. Now I'm not. I'm going to read something else. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to. I'm going to reverse it. I'm going to read First um, John, still First John, chapter two, verse twenty. It says this, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. That's 1 John 2, 20. Now, same chapter, verse 27. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things... And as that anointing is real and not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him, remain in Jesus, remain in the true vine. The anointing that this is talking about is the presence of the Holy Spirit in you and on you. That's simply it. So if you're reading anointing in the New Testament, understand it is the presence of the Holy Spirit in you to, to, for your benefit, but also for you to be of great benefit to people around about you. Right? That's if you if you're reading anointing, that's what it means. Holy Spirit in you, on you, with great strength and great power. So you have an anointing and you know the truth. Now I'm going to read John 14:26. But the advocate. By the way, Jesus at some sometimes is called the advocate, and sometimes the Holy Spirit is called the advocate. Both of them are. And I think that's really great. Because if you understand anything about like the legal system and the law, like to have to have like we Trinity, we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and two of them are literally advocating for you and me. Sorry, I'm off on a tangent. Come back, come back. 
So John 4.26, the advocate, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit in you and on you gives you all the truth you need, will teach you all things you have no need of a teacher. And from the very beginning, that word that I spoke about that God said, the self-dependence, we have to give up the self-dependence so that we can be people who will live fully reliant on the Holy Spirit who is on the inside of us, wanting to teach, train, instruct you in everything, all truth, in any good work that you need. Any, you know, Jesus said, um, what is it? I don't have it here. It's John um, 5. Um, Jesus said, I only do the things that I see the Father doing and I only say the things I hear, first hear the Father saying. Or actually, it says, it says that in some versions it said that Jesus said he can't. And it wasn't that he can't, because if you look at the real Greek, the Greek, it's much more in-depth. It's not about that Jesus can't do the things. It's that he chose not to pursue uh, his own human will. He lay that down because that's what we do through prayer. He was a man of prayer, and he lay that down to take up the Father's will, and the far, through the Father's will, he understood the Father's heart, and so he could always be seeing and hearing exactly what the Holy Spirit wanted him to see and hear, so that he could do the very miracles. You know, when he said to Nicodemus, uh, Nicodemus was, uh, was it Nicodemus? Philip, sorry, Philip, I had the wrong man. Philip, he said, Philip, I saw you under the tree. Nathaniel. I still had the wrong one. <laughs> so, Nathaniel, one of the other disciples, brought new Nathaniel to Jesus. And Jesus says, I saw you under the tree. And Nathaniel knew at that point, oh my goodness, this, how's this person know I was sitting under a tree earlier? There's only reason is that he must be the son of God, right? That was, that was a word of knowledge. He saw something in the spirit or he was communicated revelation from Holy Spirit into his heart that let him know that Nathaniel, before they met, was off under a tree. Literally, we can be this simple and practical with our Bible. We really can understand. And, and when I say this simple and practical is because what you read Jesus doing, he wants us to be doing the same things. And the only way that we do this is we start to understand what it means to be new covenant people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed by the Holy Spirit, are given all of the truth and the, and the wealth of God's wisdom is given to us through the Holy Spirit. Everything we need for every moment of every day, every encounter that we have with unsaved people, saved people, doesn't matter who, every encounter that we have and every conversation that we have, the Holy Spirit is right there and giving you everything you need. He will put the words in your mouth if you'll just trust him and speak them. Or if you see something, say it. Like see it, say it, hear it, say it. That's all it means to be prophetic people. We just trust. We trust Holy Spirit. Some people don't. I had one person say this to me. It was gross actually, but I've got to say it. I was asking this person who was a spiritual leader, I was asking them to pray about something the Holy Spirit had told me and made it very clear to me I was to do it. But I was just wanting to talk about it with someone else who um, it meant that, well, this person sat at the, on the other side of the table and said, nah, that's not God. I don't even need to pray about it. I already know what the Holy Spirit wants and that is not God. And by the way, you shouldn't just be listening to the Holy Spirit like that because how do you know you're right? I think you should listen to me and follow me. I'm trying to not give away names and too much of the details, but um, 
this person was literally telling me not to trust the Holy Spirit's voice in me, but to trust their voice as a leader in my life. What that person was doing is setting themselves up as an idol. Because who of us could ever rightly say to another person, no, you haven't heard the Holy Spirit on that. You should listen to my interpretation on the Holy Spirit or the Scriptures. Like who, when we have people or spiritual leaders, guides, whatever you want to call people, pastors, whatever, if, if someone is saying that to you and it's literally against the Scriptures and it's literally against what the Holy Spirit has put in your heart, you need to run away. The thing is, who is more powerful? Some leader, some church leader, or the Holy Spirit, who is God? Is God not powerful enough to help you hear his voice and trust that he can keep speaking and keep speaking and then build faith in your heart so that you know and you can obey that he is God and we're going to trust that voice? We should over all of the other voices, all of the other voices. It is the Holy Spirit inside you who is himself God who will speak to you and give you everything you need to do life and love and family and grow and be holy before the Lord. Um, so John 4, sorry, 1 John 4.17. In this world, we are like Jesus we're not gods. We're not God. We are sons and daughters of God, though. And we have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us so that in this world we can live as if, as if we were Jesus, doing the same ministry, having the same kinds of miracles, being able to speak and give dignity to people and raise them up out of the gutter, pick them up out of circumstances and put them back on their feet because we've just had the words of God over them. In this world, we are like Jesus. This is Scripture. This is not... In this world, we are like Jesus. I began with this prophetic word. The prophetic word begins with, it's not to the weak I give my kingdom, but to those spiritually strong in me. And I know that... um, it's the revelation that in this world we are to be like Jesus makes you spiritually strong. It's the revelation of I have got to lay down myself, lay down my agendas, lay down my own uh, desire to impress and literally just live as if, as if, as if his very word to me is, is more important the very, than the next breath in my lung. Because it is. Like his word sustains. Because his, his very word is the breath in my lung. That's one of the words that we understand. Holy Spirit is the breath in my lung. He is who animates us. His life in us animates our soul. So say this. Say, I am like Jesus. <laughs> say it again. Say it really loud. I am like Jesus. Um. Yeah. Amen. I'm going to pray. And try not to cry. (laughs) 
because we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. And we do give our lives for this. We do give our lives for this. We do give our lives for this. We honour you, but we know that you first honoured us by making our hearts your home. We honour you, Jesus. We honour you, Holy Spirit. We honour you, Father. And we ask for you to come have your way through our lives. Every moment of every day, we ask for you to come have your way. We want you to have your way. We want you to have your way through our lives as individuals and in our families. We want you to have your way through our church. That there'd never be a day that we would, um, we would say, oh, I oh, remember that day I took took back my will, <laughs> that, that all our days instead would just be that we've just lived to honour your glory, to seek your glory, to honour your glory, to exalt the name of Jesus, that every single one of our days would be days just given to, to bring glory to you. Just as Jesus lived, every one of his days was given to bring glory to you. It was one of the last things he said, that my life has given honour to you and glory to your Father. Let our lives also bring great glory and great honour to you. And Father, I just pray across this room too, that you would really fill people's hearts, fill us, fill us, Overflow with your, with your presence, Father. Overflow us. Overflow us. Pour out your Holy Spirit in a bigger way. In a bigger way. I just pray. Even now, just engage your heart with heaven. Open it up. Open it up. Engage your heart with heaven. Your seeking will be met by him providing. So now, Father, I do pray, pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit. I pray for healing. I pray for mending hearts where there's broken areas that you'd fill up, fill those areas. But God, we need the water, the watering. It's the Holy Spirit watering in our lives. We need you to cleanse us. We need you to fill us. We need you to set a fire on the inside of us, a passionate hot fire that'll burn with for you. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.